0: Welcome to The Light Within, a podcast for anyone seeking to rewrite their life, live in their light, and align with their soul's highest purpose. I'm Leslie Draffin. Join me as we explore spirituality, sexuality, wellness, and the magical world around us. Hello, beautiful beings, and thank you so much for joining me for this episode of The Light Within. Today, we are talking about tarot. And it is spooky season after all, the beginning of October, so I wanted to do a couple of episodes dealing with more of the mystical, the spiritual, the unseen. And so this is the first in that series with Addie Broyles. Now, I first found Addie on Instagram. Her handle's great. It's don't fear the death card. And I contacted her because she teaches Tarot 101 classes, and I thought she'd be an excellent person to talk to about tarot. Now, I first got into tarot in 2019. I bought my own tarot deck. We talk a little bit about the superstitions surrounding whether or not you should buy your deck or if you should be gifted a deck in this episode. But I bought a deck and kind of left it on my bookshelf for almost a year until I finally started diving deeper into it, bought a couple of books, and started doing readings for myself. Now, what's interesting is when Addie and I started talking The conversation morphed from tarot into her work with grief and ancestral healing. So this conversation is really an interesting one, and I just love how she uses tarot for that deep, deep healing. Now in the conversation, we will talk a little bit about Tarot 101, the major and minor arcana, the fool's journey, tarot spreads. We'll talk about fear and stigma surrounding tarot tarot for self-discovery, and like I mentioned, some of the superstitions surrounding tarot. We'll also talk about how Addie uses tarot to deal with grief and why she is so passionate about teaching tarot. Now here's a little more about Addie. Don't Fear the Death Card founder, Addie Broyles, is a writer, podcaster, ancestral healer, and tarot teacher in Austin, Texas, where she's been raising her kids and exploring the city's green belts for more than 15 years. The former food columnist for the Austin American Statesman is now the host of a podcast called Class Reunion and writes a weekly Substack newsletter called The Feminist Kitchen. You can follow her at BroylesA or at Don't Fear the Death Card on Instagram. I really love this conversation and I cannot wait for you to hear it. So please join me in welcoming Addie Broyles to the Light Within podcast. Addie, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks. I'm glad to be here.
0: I am glad you're here too. So the first question I love to ask is, what ignites your light within?
1: This is such a beautiful question. And when I first saw it on the list of questions, it almost made me cry because it really made me think about for the first time, what what does it feel like? and the answer that became very clear was a sense of connection. And so I feel that light, that internal light fire up inside me when I am making a connection with someone, something, some part of myself, some part of nature. When I hug a tree, quite literally. (laughs) When I think about my dad who died two and a half years ago, like there's so much sadness and in dark shadow work around grief, but I light up when I think about my dad Mm. or my grandmother, my ancestors, or when I get a text from my mom, (laughs) trying to troubleshoot some sort of technology thing when I get to be of service to her. um, It's just, it's like that literal plugging in that happens when you plug in a light, literally it's connecting it to the electricity. And so when I connect with my divine or with other people or, the world around me in some way. That's where I think the light comes from for me. Oh,
0: that's beautiful. Um, So for folks who don't know you, aren't familiar with you, give us a brief introduction. Now, I think I found you through Wise Guys Collective, which is down in the Austin area, and you live in Austin. So tell us you know, who you are and, and what you're giving to the world. So I have been a journalist for two decades,
1: and I worked at the local newspaper here for 15 years, 13 of which I was a food writer and food columnist. So every week I would write recipes and help people with grocery shopping and cooking tips. And, uh, but it was interesting. It just was really a way for me to write about family and connection and love and loss and growth and all the things that we go through as humans. You know, we're human beings. spiritual being having a human experience. Mm -hmm. And so food was just kind of my Trojan horse to talk about much deeper things. And over the course of the pandemic, I started practicing tarot even more rigorously than I had before. I started giving readings for people and something about that practice just really called to me in a way that I couldn't ignore. And I had been thinking about post statesman careers and what I might do. And so earlier this year, I started Uh, my business, Don't Fear the Death Card, which is a tarot reading and tarot teaching service. Started that while I was still at the newspaper and then slowly just transitioned to doing tarot full-time. I have a couple of other projects. I do freelance work and a podcast on the side, but uh, but tarot is where I definitely want to take my life in a full-time way. And the Tarot, it's more than just one-on-one readings. I think I'm really curious about how we can use Tarot to do team building work in small group sit- settings, either within families or at workplaces. So, um, you know, if you're working collaboratively on a project, I can come in, pull cards for a group, help work through blockages, help foster connection between people who are working together. Love using tarot for that. Oh, and then I teach tarot 101 classes. So via Zoom, you can come and learn tarot with me. So um, that's a little bit about what I do. But ancestral healing is the overarching connection that uh, I think connects my writing work. I have a, a substack called The Feminist Kitchen where I write each week and it's musings on parenting, loss, grief, codependency, all those juicy mm. things. And then that's what I focus my tarot on as well. Losing my dad was a life-changing thing that happened. And I just really dove into the grief work during that process. And there were all kinds of tools that I used during that time. And I found the tarot to be one of the most helpful. Mm. So, and so that's why I named it Don't Fear the Death Card, is when I pull the death card, I get this little tingle up my spine that says, you are still alive. And that is the gift of death and of grief. And grief for me is not something that I get over. It's not something that I don't want. It's not something that I'm mad that I have to carry. It's a little treasure that's in my knapsack that's with me at all times. And I think it's a beautiful thing. So that extends to the death card and all that it represents.
0: Hmm. I love that because when I did see your Instagram handle, that was something that I was also taught when I was learning tarot is that the death card isn't negative. Like it can represent so many different things, even just like the death of your old self. That's kind of how I look at it. When I when I pull for me, I'm like, okay, what is dying within me that has like the chance to be reborn? Um, so I love that 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 was your handle. And now knowing how much of the ancestral healing and the grief work that you do, it kind of is perfect, right? That this is what you're doing within tarot.
1: I love it. Yeah. It's so true. And I think it's one of the great most radical things that we can do. And I say we as humans, as I mean, I'm an elder millennial. I'm a white woman in America. Mm -hmm. I've got a couple of kids. Uh, I just think there's a lot of work that we as a a society and as a collective and as humanity have to do. And I think it starts with ourselves. I spent many years trying to change the world through my work or through my activism or through my voice, my platform, my soapbox, Mm -hmm. get on Twitter and just Rally,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but at a certain point, there was a softness that came to me that helped me realize that I needed to do that work on the inside in order to have the ripple effect that I desired in in the outside. And it starts in my home. You know, we have conversations around the dinner table that are very frank, and they're they can be tough, and they can be nuanced and complex. And that's exactly what the tarot is is uh, you know to be able to look at a ten of swords or a tower. Or a two of swords, or some of these more difficult cards, and see the joy in them and the opportunity that comes when we have something that's difficult or that's
0: sticky or that's medicine we don't like. Mm. So, like yeah. So, what is tarot in your opinion, and what is tarot not?
1: Ooh. So, I think tarot for me, this is, I think it's important to also acknowledge that. Tarot is a tool and everybody uses tools differently. And I want to honor the people who've come before me in this world, this tarot world who were persecuted for doing it, Mm -hmm. who were killed, who were shamed, who were ostracized from their communities. And yet they carried on and they carried on a tradition and they kept it connected to its roots. And as tarot has evolved, it has become increasingly anti-patriarchal. It has been, um, you know, there are all these queer tarot decks now that help get it away from the heteronormativity of the previous tarot, ways we used to read tarot. And even when we recite like tarot history, it's these men who get all the credit for it. Yeah. And I really think that there have been women who are not named who, I mean, Pamela Coleman Smith obviously is sort of the, the queen of, of tarot, at least uh, how we've mythologized the, the tarot story. Um but I think there are many, many unnamed folks. And so just honoring them feels really important as I talk about how I use tarot because they all use tarot in different ways. So how I use it is not for fortune telling or, or predicting of the future, but it's more of a how can I work through what I'm feeling today and what do I need to be aware of today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this season? What do I need to have on my radar? What do I need to have my eyes open to? What are the lessons that I need to be willing to learn? Not, I've got a job interview coming up. Am I going to get the job? Yeah. It's more of what do I need to bring into that interview so I can be my best self, so that I can be aligned with my higher power, so that all the goodness and wisdom of my ancestors can be on my shoulders. And it's just that openness. And anytime I pull cards, it is an intentional gathering. Of two people who create a container and they say, we are intentionally here to receive messages from the universe. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I get to be a conduit, but really it's something that I'm working with the querent on and we have a conversation and I use my intuition and I use the cards and I use my journalistic skills to ask the right questions. And then together we create something that has a lot of meaning for both of us like when i read for other people i am getting that juicy goodness as much as the other person i think that's one of the reasons i like it so much is that uh, it is such a collaborative space so that's generally how i use tarot
0: and you know when i first i remember you know even as a kid like growing up in a very christian family my dad was a preacher um tarot was like from the devil and then as i had my spiritual awakening in the in around 2019 um, I guess even in 2018, I had read this book about like all the different modalities that you could use within you know the spiritual mystical world, and Tara was something that I was drawn to. So I bought my own deck. There's all that like superstition to where you need to like be given your own deck, and I was like, no, screw that because I don't have. Yeah, I'm like I don't have anyone who I know who would just like gift me this seventy dollar deck that I wanted. So I bought that shit myself. I'm and so then, proud of you. Yeah, and then I I like let it sit on my my shelf for almost a. Man, probably a year because I was just like so maybe freaked out by it or overwhelmed by the whole idea of like, okay, I have to memorize all these cards. And finally, I got some books that have really helped. And I've been pulling for myself for probably about, you know, a year. When did you start pulling for yourself?
1: I love hearing your story about getting into it. And I'm so proud of you for getting your own deck. I think that that idea that you have to wait to have somebody give it to you is just a holdover from another time when I think there was probably safety concerns for buying tarot decks. Uh, and, and also we have the internet now where we have access to information. I think before when it was an oral tradition that was being passed from person to person, maybe that makes more sense. Because if you're given, a, or if you buy a deck of cards and you haven't had anybody work with you about what the devil card represents and you have some old ways of thinking about the devil, that could be dangerous. For you psychologically to go un, unsupported down that road, but I actually came into it from a uh, an appreciation standpoint. I was listening to podcasts for years about tarot before I even touched a tarot deck. I was just, I just loved hearing people talk about these cards, and also came from a Protestant background where tarot was considered part of the occult, and that's one of the big things I try to disseminate when I talk about tarot is that there are these like evil spirit kind of things. Listen, if you want evil spirits to be part of your tarot experience, you certainly can have that and and manifest that. I, I just don't do that. I don't think, right. I think all the cards have really positive juicy medicine, including the devil card. Um, so I started listening to tarot podcasts. I was at a woman's retreat where somebody had tarot cards and it was just this like lightning bolt moment of, wow, I get to finally hold them. It was this very special time to, to shuffle cards for the first time and just look at them and feel that magic in my hands. And it was just a real turning point in my life. My dad had been sick for so long and it was just you know ravaging my, my heart and my soul. And I felt a real sense of solace when I was pulling cards. And I, I immediately connected with this idea of the medicine in the cards. Mm-hmm. And I my pump had been primed all those years listening to the podcast. So that's when I got my first deck, started pulling for myself, quickly started getting other decks, listening to other podcasts, um, reading other books, checking out books in the library. It's something I tell people, um, you know, don't be afraid to get more than one deck. Don't be afraid to check out books from the library, uh, and also play with them. Like not, um, but what I mean by that is like, I'm, I've been, I'm like, I'm just going to Hold, deck, hold this deck in my hand right now and just shuffle them just because I like the way they feel in my hands. And especially when I'm in a social setting and I have my cards and maybe I'm pulling for myself or somebody wants a reading, I really encourage people, especially if they've never had an experience with terror before, kind of like what happened with me, just hold them. Mm-hmm. You know, don't feel like there's this stigma around like, oh, they can't, they have to be in a red bag and they can't be out in the daylight and you can only touch them on Saturdays, like, or once a month. Like, I think that, um, the more that we create those rules, the more, the less accessible the practice is for people. And I really want people to have their own practice. I mean, I love reading for people and, and, and having, serving in that role, but being a tarot teacher is probably a more sacred, uh, role for me because I know that I'm empowering people to have their own experiences. And then in their own communities, they they become ambassadors for this work.
0: Yeah. I love what you said about just like playing with them, holding them. I have a friend who has a daughter who just turned four and they were over at my house a couple of weeks ago. And I have this, I have a room that I call the womb room because it's like where I do all of my witchy shit. And like my husband has his own space. We don't have any kids, but we have a three bedroom house. So he has his office. I have the womb room and then we have our bedroom. And so we were in there looking at all my crystals and like my pendulum and my cards were out and she She just was looking at them and like flipping them over and, you know, remarking on whatever was on the cards. Um, And I have the moon child tarot deck is the one that I use. So it was it's very beautiful. It's very like pink and aesthetic and like very childlike. And she was like, look at this. So the intuition of her, this three year old, like looking at these cards like, oh, and, and I was like saying, oh, well, this card, you know, looks like this or this without ever looking at the book that comes with it or reading into the book. For me, that was such a transformative experience with her because I'm like, okay, instead of just always pulling this book out and being like, okay, what does the Queen of Swords mean? It's like, what does it really look like? And I know for a lot of older tarot decks, that was kind of what was very, you know, I think, drawn into them was like these little images. And now current tarot decks for the ones that I've picked up, a lot of those images, those symbols, maybe are either hidden or not, not there anymore. Mm -hmm. So I really loved that little experience of her playing with them. And then, like you said, there's all these superstitions, like don't let anyone else touch the cards. Yeah. Well, I mean, this three-year-old is just running amok just letting them go wherever. And it's like, I don't feel like they, they probably loved it. (laughs) The
1: cards probably did too. Uh, The kids, you know, kids in tarot is controversial for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, My kids are certainly aware of it and they definitely have, uh, you know, either pulled for themselves or I've pulled for them. And, one of the sweetest moments, just like what you were talking about, is for me memories, especially with kids and tarot, is me pulling cards at the end of the day, which is one of my favorite times to pull. As opposed to the morning, I mean, listen, I'll pull any time, but the end of the day, as I'm winding down and thinking about what has transpired over the day, sometimes that feels like the right time to pull cards. So I'll be sitting on my bed, and then like my ten-year-old will come in and flop onto the bed and get curious and look at the cards, kind of like your friend's daughter. And then I'll pull for him and. Kind of do something similar where I ask him, well, what do you think about this? And what what about this? And so I just think that it's a great way to expand kids' minds. And it also, I think, offers them an alternative perspective on spirituality. Because mm-hmm. we live in a super religious state and world. And it's changing. And the relationship that we have with traditional churches and religions is changing. But I think there's still this idea that like you're only spiritual if you go to a church. And I really want to raise my kids in an environment where they can be spiritual in a way that works for them. And I'm just showing them lots of different possibilities. And nature-based forms of spirituality really resonate with me. And So it's, it makes a lot of sense that they would be, have a curiosity about the tarot and, but, you know, some of their friends don't get it and their parents are freaked out by it. And I try to be really respectful of that. And I will even ask if I have my cards in a social, in a social setting, I will read the room and I will sort of make decisions appropriately about what, how, how far to proceed, because I don't want people to freak out. And that's not, um, but it also is a good reminder that I get to stay in my power and I get to stay in my my faith, whatever that looks like for me, and that the tarot is a big part of that. And if you're not down with that, like my relationships have changed a lot in my 30s. -hmm. And I I can tell that there is yet another fork in the road that has happened where I am consciously choosing this path towards the witchy, the woo-woo, the divine, the ancestral. And a lot of people, they don't like talking about their family trees. They don't like talking about uh, the shadow work. Mm -hmm. it's just too, it's beyond what they're ready for. And so we're all on our own journey, aren't we?
0: Yeah. And I feel you on that. That's a whole separate podcast, right? Like the things that happen when you, when you fork off of your friend group, yeah. Or your family tree, when you are doing different work than the, people that are within your, within your ancestral lineage. Um, Quickly, what is the big difference, you know, when we're getting down to the nitty gritty between like tarot decks, Oracle card decks and angel decks?
1: That is something I hadn't thought too much about because I have heard,
0: I don't have any angel decks. I I don't don't either, but I've heard people like pulling them.
1: I do too. And so I actually was doing a little bit of research earlier before the show just to get a better grasp on it since I don't know very much about angel and oracle decks. But so my sense is that they're smaller decks. They, there are a couple of origin stories for the oracle cards and then angel cards. um, You know, there's messages, you know, they're all supposed to be uplifting positive messages from the angels around. I still have my own shit that I'm unpacking around angels. So yeah. Yeah. Um, it, not that I, there, and there's no shade, no diss at all. Cause I think whatever you're called to by all means, follow that calling. Mm-hmm. A great example of that is my
0: mom who
1: still lives in a, you know, small town in the Midwest. And she, the closest, she, the, the the biggest step that she could take towards this process was an Oracle deck. And that was it. Tarot was too much. It was too, too big of a leap, but Oracle felt like a, an entree into the world. Fast forward two months and she's taken my tarot one-on-one class. <laughs> I love it. So that was a really fun way to get to know her more. And, you know, the whole teacher-student dynamic, three of pentacles, mm-hmm. you are the te- you are the student until you are the teacher and you are always learning and teaching, going back and forth. Um, so I would say if you are listening to this and you are totally new to this card space, see if you can look at some of those cards or if you have the opportunity to touch them and, and get a feel for which ones really resonate for you. Now that I, I'm glad that I started with tarot, to be frank, mm-hmm. because when I pick up t- oracle cards, they don't seem specific enough. They don't mm-hmm. seem to challenge me in the way that I need to be challenged. Um, but that is one of the reasons why people um, actually suggest starting with oracle, because if you're not ready to pull a five of swords and dig into what that might mean for you, I mean, it's not bad, but it's just right. you gotta really be in a place to look at the like look underneath the rocks and see what's there. Mm-hmm. And I get it. If you just are in the place where you need angel cards to give you divine positive messages that you are worthy and you are loved. I get that message from all the cards, but mm-hmm. it has taken a lot of work to get there. So.
0: And I totally agree. There are days when I'm like, let me just pull a couple of Oracle cards. Cause I feel like you know, maybe it's like a little bit of a rough day with like, or it's going to be a stressful day. And I'm like, I don't really want to like dig into all the shit this morning. Then there are days and I'm like, let me pull a 12 card spread for, with the tarot deck and like see what the hell is out there. Um, but those are sometimes few and far between. I usually always do pull like a big spread at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of seasons, on my birthday. And then like if anything weirds coming up. Actually, I pull a lot during my period. Um, oh, when I'm, when I'm bleeding, like from the tarot, like I'll do like a couple of card spread, maybe like a three card pull. But daily for me, it's like one pull for the de- the tarot and one pull for Oracle. Today's pull for the Oracle: break the chains of ancestral pasts. Mm-hmm. Wow, and I'm be talking be to awesome. you, and I didn't even know that's what you talk about. Yeah, I feel that
1: very strongly. Oh my gosh, that is really amazing. So talking about spread, so the three card spread is my favorite. Just a, what's the invitation of the moment? What's hidden in the moment? What's the medicine healer of the moment? I've had some really fascinating epic spreads. Like I don't necessarily mean for them to be epic spreads, but um, I'll pull like, like do like a five card spread and then some cards will jump out and then suddenly there's branches and and then I'll have like a a 15-card a story in front of me that just somehow makes sense. I had this one experience where it was absolutely like divine crackle, sparkle, connection. Every card I pulled immediately had resonance within in my brain. Mm-hmm. And I tell my students, it's like, don't get stuck on pulling the same spread all the time. Or like you said, thinking that everyone has to be a Celtic cross. Mm-hmm. Double cross, whatever, like they can evolve. And um, sometimes when I'm doing a three card spread, it turns out to be a five card spread because I'll pull helper cards. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes when I, I mean, listen, if there's stickiness on my hands and extra cards jump out, I I pay attention to those cards. Yes,
0: yes. And I, I did the same thing. I'm not the greatest at shuffling. So when they like pull out or like fall out, I'm like, oh, hello. Like you're obviously meant to be here. Do you read cards in reverse? No, I, I'm glad you asked that. Gonna say that,
1: um, I do not, but that doesn't mean the reversal isn't in how I read the card. Well, mm-hmm. so I go ahead and turn them all over, um, just because I have a lot of questions around like shuffling and how do you like do you start the first time you get a deck with all the cards upright? I don't know. I and and also my hands are small, I can't shuffle a lot of the decks that I have, so like these, I'm just like kind of doing this business, or I'll spread them all out, um, and so. And then also the question is when I'm pulling for somebody else and it's, is it reversal for you? Is it reversal for me? So that way I just pull them and they're all upright. But as I get into it, usually when I'm talking with the querent, I can tell if the meaning of the card is it's not, it's negative or it's positive, but it's shadow or it's light. And this light seers tarot that I have been um, playing with, this is by an artist named Chris Ann. They have, light seer and shadow seer. So instead of calling it upright and reversed, it's just it, there's the light expression of the card, and there's the okay. shadow expression of the card. And even the happiest cards in the deck have shadow sides. And so if I pull a 10 of cups, and you're not feeling very 10 of cups, I I know that that encouragement of the card is to look at, look at where you are resourced with your family and your network and your community and how you contribute to it, rather than celebrate that you already have it. Um, hmm. that's so, yep. so
0: yeah, for sure. I also don't really love to pull the reverse. I used to pull, like, read reverse and be like, okay. And then it just got so overwhelming to think about the fact that, like, all right, now I have to figure out what they mean backwards, too. Like, okay, no, let me just, like, do all. And so now if one falls reverse, I will read, like you said, and said, okay, well, does that resonate with me? If not, I'm like, okay, flip it the other way and it's fine. Yeah. And so for folks who are listening who might just be, like, complete newbies, what we mean when we're saying reverse is when you pull um, a deck and a card comes out, it's either facing you or it's facing away from you um, where the image is. That's the reverse.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So I love, like we already mentioned, the fact that your handle is don't fear the death card. Um, And we kind of touched on this before is, you know, why there's a lot of fear around tarot and maybe even around certain cards specifically. Do you want to get into any of your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, well, I just as I mentioned earlier, grief work is one of my favorite things. And I just know that that's surprising to people. Um, I've been around long enough to watch how people deal with death and how they talk about death and um, how much we as a society don't tend to loss very well. Like there's this big outpouring of support that comes after you lose somebody and then the months roll by and you're feeling alone and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, grief pops up in these weird ways. Like the year after my dad died, my sister's birthday was the hardest day of that year. Mm. Not Christmas, not Thanksgiving, not my own birthday, not his birthday. (laughs) Why? I don't know. But that was a real aha moment that it sneaks up on you. The more we, we run away from, from it, the bigger, scarier, harder it gets. And so like if I turn towards it and invite it, I am disarming it. It's sort of like the big scary monsters that live under the bed, facing your fears. If I can face grief, I can face anything, anything. And then I think about when in my, in my family tree, you know, who in my family tree embraced loss and change and scary things? Who in my family tree didn't want to talk about it? Mm-hmm wanted to stuff all the emotions and make, make it okay all the time. Or, um, or also I I had a best friend in college who died in a weird car accident right after we finished college. And that was where my, my grief journey really began. I was four months pregnant and didn't realize it, which is a whole (laughs) menstrual story that we will talk about on another day. (laughs) And my friend died. I was two months pregnant and didn't realize it. My friend died, found out, and I was consumed in grief, Mm -hmm. and did not see anything in my body that was happening that would tell me that I was having a baby. All I could see was this sadness and this loss Mm -hmm. and this guttural, I think your life changes. You either have, you have a before. And I think most of us have a before and after moment when it comes to loss and grief. And that was my very first one. Mm -hmm. And it's also when I chose to become a a parent, you know, I was 23 and was not ready to have a kid at that Mm -hmm. point, but I chose to start my motherhood journey. I wouldn't have done that if my friend hadn't died. Mm-hmm. And so the life death life cycle was, I was living it even if I didn't have a name for it. Yeah. And somehow I made it through a decade, decade and a half without a tarot practice, without grief work. I didn't even do any grief work, like grief counseling after that loss. Uh, even I mean, I, listen, I had a baby. I didn't know what to do with myself, but when my dad died, my grandma, my dad died just, I was super close with my grandmother too. It was just a hellacious like three years, but I intentionally was like, I am going to take advantage of the grief resources in my community and hospice Austin. And I'm sure this is true for other hospices around the country. Even though my dad was not in hospice Austin, they provided grief services for me and my kids. My kids went to a bereavement camp. I went to an eight week group session. And then I had one-on-one work. And through that process of really saying, I am committed to working with my grief and me showing up for it week after week, Kleenex after Kleenex, the piles of tissues, Leslie. Mm -hmm. Oh, hi. But I also knew that I was doing the work. And I knew that this was not only a gift for myself, but a gift for my kids and a gift for my grandkids and all my future ancestors to have a healthy relationship with loss because you can't avoid it. I know I'll lose my mom one day and it'll be really tough. I mean, losing my dad, I, when I was a little girl, I feared losing my parents. I can remember being a little kid being like, one day my parents are going to die. I don't know if I'll survive it. You know, that's a big thing to work through. So anyway, find my tips. I mean, I know we're talking about grief more so than tarot right now, but find support And I don't just mean girlfriends and wine. I mean books. There's a book called The Wild Edge of Sorrow that's just fantastic. Take advantage of those grief, bereavement support groups that happen around town. Don't be weirded out if you're the youngest person in the class or, you know, the only, like, um, I had a, a friend who lost a sibling. and it's very difficult to lose a sibling when none of your friends have lost siblings. Mm-hmm. Like loss of parents starts to become pretty common, but loss of sibling is very different. So find specific support groups for the type of loss that you have. And even loss of pet, Yep, like they have support groups for loss of pet too, um, because that's meaningful and, and just honor it because it's a way that you're honoring yourself. And I just, I think that the more we lean into that work, the more, uh, just not only the healthier we are, but the more we can thrive. And that's what our loved ones would want for us.
0: And I love that you mentioned the loss of pet thing. And I also love that this conversation is completely morphing. So earlier this summer, I guess it was like last, it was in July. I very nearly lost my, like, I say, he's the love of my life, the furry love of my life, my nine-year-old great Dane Gunner. And like, it was a Monday I was at work. My husband realized he was acting weird. He's already an elderly dog. Cause he's nine as a Dane. So my husband took him to the emergency vet ends up. He has to have like this emergency surgery and the vet was like, I don't think like, I I really don't know if he'll make it like really don't know. He's fine now, but like he ended up having to get his spleen removed because it had like ruptured. But in that night, my husband was like processing his grief, crying and like being upset. I was like stoic and like got to get your shit together, which is very much my personality. Days later. I felt so awful. Like, I had to cancel some, I had to take time off work, had to take like, uh, reschedule some podcast interviews. And like in my body, it felt horrific. And then I'm like, you know, is this, I'd done stories as a journalist before about grief support groups for people specifically who had lost pets. I'm like, I know this is a thing, but like he didn't die. But then I'm like, why else am I, What was I not freaking out like in this, in this moment? So it's like still this thing that was like living in my body. And I called my therapist like a week later was like, I got, you got to give me some like anxiety medicine or something. Like I'm losing my fucking mind over here. And it's like days later and he's fine. And I think what happened now, looking back is I, I killed him in my mind. I killed him in my mind and my body. And I'm like, okay, that's how it was. And even though he's okay, it's just this weird situation. And so I started looking for people to interview on the podcast about grief. And look at us having this conversation right now about tarot and grief. I don't think I really pulled any tarot cards after that. But I will tell you that like the morning I pulled, the morning this happened, before he was acting weird and had this issue, I think I pulled some shit that was like, there's going to be an obstacle. Mm. And uh-huh. I and I like journaled about that. And then I like didn't do a morning practice for like a week. And then I went back and was like, holy fuck. It knew. It did. It did. Well, just bumping up against death,
1: you know, people who have near-death experiences themselves or who, um, you know, a loved one has, I mean, listen, my little one broke his arm five years ago and had to go get pins in it and go into surgery and like the anesthesiologist. And I mean, to watch your seven, six or seven year old get put under, Mm -hmm. I lost it. That was one of the hardest parenting moments I have experienced, even though I knew he was in good care. I knew he was going to be fine. Kids break their arms all the time. They get pins on their arms all the time. But the trauma of that day, it still lives within me. And Mm -hmm. it's, again, he broke his wrist about a month ago. This is a very active kid. And all I could think of was that day, five or six years ago, when I got this call that it's like, oh, it's not just a broken arm. He has to go have surgery. Mm-hmm. And the trauma of, even though he, he was fine, listen, five weeks after the surgery, he was running around on the playground, like hanging from the monkey bars again, which freaked me out.
0: Yeah, But, but just
1: remembering that trauma, it's a similar experience as grief, just like you mentioned, and just to not try to minimize it and put it, sweep it under the rug and say, oh, don't be silly. Don't be silly. You should feel fine. Your dog's fine. Mm -hmm. It's that, you know, there's an acronym for for fine, fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and uh, some other word that starts with an email. I'm not really sure, (laughs) but it's not, it's not fine. Um, So just, you know, I would encourage people to watch their own policing around their emotions and- Acknowledge that grief is everywhere, not just with death. Mm. So, like you know, I've changed careers. There's a huge grieving process that I'm going going through right now about the coworkers that I used to work with and the type of work that I used to do, and even the um, structure of that job. There's just grief involved with it, and um, and just once you talk about it, and once like now I, when I play the ukulele, I put ukulele videos on YouTube sometimes. They're or on Instagram, they're like. ukulele karaoke, um, I put hashtag grief work. Mm. Because it is one of my reminders that when I'm singing, when I'm engaged with my creative muse, when I am learning something new, when I don't care if I'm good, it is a way for me to play and laugh and use my voice that 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 that's great work for me mm-hmm. for all the things all the times when I didn't feel like I could sing when all the times when I was like oh playing music is for somebody else it's not for me I I, I couldn't learn how to play the guitar that's for my ex-husband's a musician so that was my story for a long time was that's not I'm not like that but I am now
0: Yeah. And I love that you mentioned, you know, all the different things that maybe don't relate to someone dying that are still grief scenarios. Like, first of all, I think we're living in an entire collective of grief right now. And we have been since like the early 2020 with this pandemic. I mean, people are grieving either job loss, the loss of someone in their life, a loss of their freedom, a loss of like being able to do whatever they wanted to freely travel. Um, Yeah. And I think there's just like, it feels different now, you know, like it's, and it's as in the world feels different now. Mm -hmm. And I think that if more people were recognizing the fact that this is a grieving process, Mm -hmm. there's trauma that's going on right now. Even if you haven't had anyone that, you know, die, or you haven't had the COVID virus. Like I know there's still, you know, things and feelings that people need to be going through.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about like, even when you get married and it's this happy moment, your single self is lost. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's, there's still part, just like with any grief, it's always with you and you can always touch into it and tap into it and maybe even take yourself out on a date. But to honor that anytime there's a transition, there's a loss. And to even name that. So like we just started back to school, my kids... Right now they they're on a high because they're back being they're happy being in school. But in a couple of weeks they're gonna start feeling the grief of like, oh, we can't just sit around all summer like we did before and play video games. I'm really grieving that my kids, you know, I've got a fifth grader, like he's not gonna be a baby for much longer. And it hit me in the stomach a couple of weeks ago that like my days of parenting young children are just about over. Oh, makes me want to cry just thinking about because there's so many tender times. And I loved parenting little babies and toddlers and little elementary school kids. And now they're like big, and one's shaving, and the other one is probably not far behind. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
0: So, how do you use tarot to decipher feelings like that? And how do you do it with your clients?
1: Well, we usually just have a short little conversation at the beginning. So I I typically do 30 minute readings. That's my favorite container because it's, it's bite-sized enough. And then to do a repeat, that's also what I really like too, because we kind of wet our feet and then we do something a couple weeks later. But what, you know, a check-in with your body, a check-in with your heart. So I do the same things when I'm um, pulling for myself. And then I try to actually ask like a big question of what is going on, what is the invitation? What am I supposed to be paying attention to universe? What do you want me to be aware of any expression of that? And I don't know if that's common. I don't know. if, You know, I'm sure other tarot folks will hear this and probably say, well, the more specific you are, the better Then the cards can be specific. But I actually really like it to be general because the cards just there are 78 cards. That is a lot of cards. And I want it to be open so that no matter what cards I pull, I then get to make the magic for what they mean. That's what I think is so cool about tarot is that um, I I like that it's standardized. I like that there are suits that are, you know, some decks, they change the suits or they change up the king and the queen or some of the major arcana is a little different, but for the most part, there's a real standard to it. This is what I like about tarot over sort of the angel and the oracle cards is that there's this the hero's journey in the major arcana and I love the, the four suits. This also happens when I'm giving a tarot reading as I give like a quick little 101 about Hero's Journey and the Major Arcana, Minor Arcana. Um, I, they're really the four aims of life. Um, and you could express that with water, earth, air, fire. You could express it. There are a million ways to express those four suits. Um, so we do a little overview and then I usually will cut the deck in three and then pull them over. And I show each of the cards to kind of just look at the landscape. And then we talk about each card individually. And then I talk about how they intersect. Um, cause sometimes when you pull two cards side by side, they play together and it's just like ingredients in a kitchen. Um, lemon does not have the same effect in every single dish. The six of swords does not have the same effect in every single spread. And some, you know, I think there are flavors. I've never used this flavor analogy before, but it's a pretty good one. There are 78 flavors in the tarot and they each have a specific nuance and a memorable um, flavor, smell, sensation, Uh, but the way it's expressed is going to be a little different each time. I actually have a five senses thing I'm working on with the tarot where with each card, I'm trying to connect it to a sight, a smell, a taste, a sound, whichever one I'm forgetting (laughs) and sights. Yeah. Anyway. Um, And that's pretty fun because then I get to really acknowledge how much like nostalgia is is wrapped up in smell or, um, or in taste or in um, the sound of the sound of silence, the sound of the door opening when my son comes home, you know, that has its own specific feeling. I actually haven't attached that to a card yet, but I'm going to. Um, but this is what I also, one last thing about um, my own tarot with practice and how it's developing. I have something that I call Addy's book of tarot that I encourage my students. This is their first assignment in my tarot one one class is to start their own book of tarot where they um, write out each of the suit or, you know, have a page or two for each suit and then for the major arcana, and then just start taking notes with, as you are reading or getting readings or listening to things, plucking your own interpretations. What are the things that really resonate with you about each of the cards, making those notes, and then expanding and playing on uh, different ways to read. You know, I've got the, the five senses chart is in here. I recently attached um, a bunch of intentional thoughts with each tarot card. So it just makes it so that it's, it's helped me you know, people get overwhelmed with how do I learn all the cards? Well, you don't, it's not about memorizing them. I think it's about feeling them. And I have to take notes in order to keep track of, of how that's changing because cards change as I change. That's what I think it, uh, the tarot becomes alive when we allow it to live and breathe and change and grow. So I learn from you we could talk for tarot about tarot all day, and I'm sure I would come away with some new understandings about some of the cards through your interpretations. And the same is true no matter how new you are to the practice.
0: One thing that I heard when I was first uh, reading through some of the tarot books is like there might be a card that um, most resonates with you. Just like there are certain cards that you can like assign to people in your life. Mm-hmm. Do you have a card that most resonates as like Addie?
1: Uh, I think the six of cups is a pretty Addy card. So I'm a cancer. Okay. So I got all the cups, but there's something tender about this receiving and giving love. Um, the 10 of cups too. So when I pull the 10 of cups, I think the intentional thought I have is I'm a bridge between the past and the future. And that very much feels aligned with my overarching goal in life. But the day to day is the six of cups where I am Feeding myself, taking care of myself, tending to myself, tending to my kids, tending to my community, and also seeking out, you know, through texts or, um, you know, therapists or what have you. It's just this real give and take. And um, for me, cups is the path toward liberated relationships. So it's an anti-codependency journey. And six is the first time when you figure out how to be in relationship with other people in a way that's balanced and that is not tit for tat. And then it's not you do this for me and I'll do this for you. It's a free-flowing open hands kind of card. So ah, that one really Nice.
0: Was, yeah. I love that. Um, and then when it comes to cards that like continue to pop up. So when I first got my tarot deck, I believe it was my tarot deck. It could have been oh. my Oracle deck. I kept pulling the temperance card. Oh. I'm talking every other day. It was coming up. It was just like. Boom, boom, boom. Now I was very much into like drinking wine all the time and was in a place where I was like, you know, not having the best diet or, and I say diet now, not taking the best care of my body. We'll say that, um, But it kept coming up and it kept coming up. And I kept like reading about what it was saying in its little explainer for the book that I had. And it was like, you know, maybe you need to detox. Maybe you need to detox. And finally, and now I am on like a sober curious journey where I took several months off of drinking and now I do it very consciously when I do drink, which is not very often. But I thought it was so funny that like I'd shuffle these fucking cards and like this thing would still come like every other day still coming out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, I'm glad you paid attention to the repetition of it and got curious about what that meant for you. I think it's fascinating when we look at language and the tarot and like, why does temperance mean what it does? Then sometimes I'll go down the rabbit hole of like the word origins of like temper, you temper chocolate, you temper emotions. There's so many things that you can temper. We have tended to put it on booze. But I think it's super important to um, kind of ask yourself, like, well, what are the other forms of, quote, booze that we have in our life of television? Or, you know, there's so many things that we are addicted to. Um, The way that I, one of the ways that I deepen my understanding of the cards and appreciation for what they have to give is to look at the cards before and after. And so temperance, in my mind, I immediately think of the death card, because it is the card right after death and i think that when i think about that guttural loss what is what are the things that follow that and it is a reassessment of one's life and existence and looking at the chips that are on the table looking at the schedule and just having a really clear-eyed look at what is serving you and what is not serving you mm. So that's how I interpret the temperance card. And sometimes that means looking at your habits. And sometimes that means looking at um, just the other forms of balance that are in your life. So this is a great example where, so uh, like Lindsay Mack has a great podcast called Terrible for the Wild Soul. So I'll take little notes whenever I'm listening to that one. There's another one called Between Two Worlds that I just found and really liked. Um, so yeah, one of the things that she talked about temperance is going from the little eye to the big eye. So um, it's that, uh, it's just a gro- it's a leveling up. And temperance comes at the very end of the second act. Let me just nerd out on this really quickly. So in the major arcana, there are three lines. It's like the three acts of the play, the fool through the chariot and then strength through temperance and then devil through the world. Temperance is the end of the second act. So that is before the curtain and the intermission. It's this moment of things are never going to be the same. I am changed by the hanged one and the death that I've just been through. And now I'm getting ready to face the devil. Mm. And I cannot face the devil, which is the card that just comes after the temperance, if I have not completed that leveling up. Ha.
0: Huh. This is wild. Is this all the stuff that you teach in this tarot 101 course? I have to take this course. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I would love it. I, um, yeah, we, in, in
1: four classes, we go over all of this. And there's one day that's entirely dedicated to the major arcana. And we talk about, uh, you know, Disney movies. And one of the assignments I give is uh, to take all of your major arcana cards and put them in order and then watch a movie ah. and flip it over you and you will be able to track the story of the movie through the cards a a scene will change and the next card will be like the emperor card oh my god they're just meeting a masculine source of of wisdom and strength (laughs) (laughs) or the hermit card comes or the death card comes anyway so it's a lot of fun
0: that is wild. So, you teach this Tarot 101 class. Um, and of course, you have your Instagram as well. How else can people, and you do readings, how can people connect with you? How can they learn from you and and get some of your wisdom in their life?
1: Well, find me on Instagram. That's the best place to start at Don't Fear the, Fear the Death card. I am percolating on a newsletter that will provide more insight from week to week beyond what is on Instagram. But Instagram is kind of the main way now. But take a class. Literally, I, as much as I love doing one-on-one readings and could do them all day, I really light up with that connection over the four-week classes. Usually I kept those classes at like five people. And I, uh, at uh, at the request of some students who took the class earlier this summer, I might be doing a retreat sometime this fall. In Central Texas, I really like taking tarot cards on hikes. I like taking pictures of tarot cards out in the wild, but I also like making connections between the cards and what I see in nature. So maybe there will be some kind of opportunity to do an in-person retreat this fall. Um, And then I unrelated, but kind of related, I do a podcast called Class Reunion, where I am interviewing my classmates about how growing up in a small town changed the next 20 years of their lives. I come from a small town in Southwest Missouri. Um, And that is very much ancestral healing work for me. And that's the tarot 102 class that I will launch probably sometime this fall is how do we really take the tarot to the next level of beyond just the day-to-day, but into the ancestral healing. So
0: Mm -hmm. I love it. And just before we go, do you, have you seen just this resurgence in the popularity of tarot? And why do you think that is? Well, I'm part of it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I can totally see that. Um, Absolutely. And I think
1: part of that is the rejection of mainstream Christianity. This is just 20 years after, listen, the ev- evangelicalism that we saw in the 90s and the 2000s.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Changed society in ways that the evangelicals didn't realize because it brought the witches out of the closet, brought queers out of the closet. It uh, created a safe space for people to explore. And I think especially with the social justice movement that we've been seeing in the past few years, there's a real reckoning that's happening uh, with how we practice and who we give our power to. And I think tarot is very much a a self-empowered form of connecting with other people that we trust and that it's almost like we are forming the network and the web that supports us and sustains us without tithing, without indoctrination without shame and guilt. And I mean, listen, Brene Brown has unlocked so much for us in terms of talk about shame and guilt and releasing ourselves from um, the old ways of getting closer with the divine. But I also try to read tarot for people also who don't have a sense of a higher power um, just because I know it's a long journey for people to even get clear about what that means for themselves. But I think even if you are agnostic Listen, my partner is agnostic, and he doesn't know what to think about all this tarot stuff. But, um, but even if you just believe in the seasons and the cycles of nature, I think there's some wisdom w- awaiting you in the tarot. So, hmm.
0: anything else you want to add before we go?
1: Just for people to go in light and light love, and you can, just like the suit of swords shows us, uh, the tools that we wield in the world can be used as weapons. And we get to choose how we use our tools, and that—I mean that by the tarot, I mean that by other forms of religion or other forms of um, witchcraft that you might practice, um, but also just in friendships and in how we treat one another. And
0: so, just be really conscious of that as as we go about our day. Addie, this was beautiful. Thank you so much for having this chat with me. Yeah, thanks, Leslie. Mm. I hope you loved that conversation with Addie as much as I did, and I hope you were as pleasantly surprised as I was about just how that conversation morphed from tarot into grief and back again. If you do want to connect with Addie, you can find her at Don't Fear the Death Card on Instagram. You can also check out her food blog Feminist Kitchen. She teaches Tarot 101 classes and does have some retreats coming up this fall. I will put links for all of those things in the show notes below. You can connect with me on Instagram at Leslie Draffen and at The Light Within Podcast. If there's someone you'd love to hear on the podcast, shoot me an email at The Light Within Podcast at gmail.com. The best way for you to continue to support this podcast is to rate it, review it, and share it with someone you love. Remember, there's no light without darkness, but there's no darkness without light. Happy spooky season, y'all. I'll see you next time.